everyone. When I found out that I was set to speak to you guys at the beginning of the semester, never in a million years did I think it would be from my living room. I wanted to be cool and fancy and have like a desk or something, my coffee mug right here and like a book, but I don't own those things and that's okay. So we're gonna Mr. Rogers it. Fancy old chair right here, we'll be going, it will be good. Today we're gonna be reading from 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What is that? Your work will be revealed by fire. That's a scary thought. And it's always scared the crud out of me whenever I thought about that concept. Now, this is not a performance mentality thing. Thank God that this verse frees us from having to perform. As it states very clearly that whatever is truly there, whatever the work is, will be revealed by fire. So thank God it's not a just fake it till you make it and look good type thing. So what is this? How do we view this concept? Let me preface it with a story. I like to think of it like taking an exam. We've all had that big test, maybe in college or high school, where at the end of the semester, you have to take a test and show what you know. And you always enter, I would enter with sweaty palms and I'd break a lot of pencils because I'd push way too hard because at the end of the day, what I truly knew I had to show. In college, I studied music. I studied classical guitar. I was a performing arts major, and I learned how to play a wooden box. I spent a lot of money to get through playing a wooden box, essentially. I would go and I would practice each week, and I would show up to my lessons, and I would have to perform whatever I learned the week prior. For someone who hasn't gone to music school, I like to think of it this way. Imagine you're saying a poem. And you say this poem, you study this poem every day. For hours, you study this poem just to show up at your teacher's door, sit down at a desk and they sit right across from you and you recite this poem to them. And then all of a sudden they like stop you and check you on your diction and they check you on your pauses and they check you on your timing. And if they don't like the way you say your T's, like if it's too poppy, like taco, taco, they'll stop you a million times just to get you to say that thing exactly the way that you should or they want you to. That's music school. And so for me, I would practice and practice, but the quality of what I practiced wasn't always up to snuff. I remember it distinctly. There was this one time that I had a master class. A master class is where you spend a lot of money and you play for some bigwig. This time it was a guy from New York who was like some guitar virtuoso. And I was sitting in this room and my whole class was there to watch. My teacher was there to hope that I don't make a fool of our studio. And I was sitting across from this really fancy guitar player and I played him a piece. And I got stuck. This silly F sharp note. I could not get past it. 
I was supposed to play F natural. I kept playing F sharp and I was like a broken record. Like my hands would move and I just would go until I hit F sharp. I was like, oh, something's wrong. I have to restart this and I would stop. I did this over and over and over and I like died inside. I, I like wished I ceased existing at that moment that I would just disappear and just like pop, just disappear off the face of the planet. That's how I felt at that time. That whole lesson became about nerves. It became about actually knowing your stuff. And that was the day that I realized I wasn't practicing what I really needed to play. I wasn't doing the things that I really needed to do to be able to not just perform, adequately play my notes. I learned that as I was practicing, I was practicing unfocused. I would sit down for the hours each day that I was supposed to, but I would just go through the motions. My brain would go on autopilot. I wouldn't think about what I was actually doing, fix my weaknesses or, or work on my technique the way I needed to, to get me through that tough spot so that when I got to my recital, my masterclass, I crumbled over those simple, basic things of knowing which correct note to play. And this goes back to that idea of that trial by fire that we're looking at here in this verse. And this goes back to living honestly. Was I being honest with myself in my practice time? Learning my notes, working on my weaknesses, fixing my technique. And this idea of honesty is biblical. It goes as a narrative all throughout the Bible. Are we living in reality? Are we being honest? And we know from Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, and the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this makes me think of the word sincere. In our culture today, sincere is like this feeling or like genuineness. Oh, this person's being sincere. He's being genuine. Historically, this word comes from a different place. Folklore has a couple of different origins, but either way, they both amount to the same thing. One practice of the thought says that this word comes from sin, Sarah, without wax. And the idea goes that if you're a sculptor and you mess up or your initial block of marble or granite has a crack in it, that instead of scrapping that whole thing that you've done all this work to, that you take a little bit of powder of whatever your substance is, your marble or your granite, and you grind it up and you mix it with wax. And then you jam that in the crack to hold things together so that you polish it over. No one would know that that blemish was there. So you give your sculpture away and some proud owner puts your sculpture on their front yard. And as the years go by and the sun hits it, that wax slowly melts and it comes out and it seeps through. And before long, you have a crack. So sincere means without wax, solid through and through. The other meaning of this folklore that comes from is honey, honey cellars without wax. They put a little bit of wax in their honey to literally bolster up the amount that was in the bottle so it looked like more. And this stuff was so sweet that when you ate it, you had no idea that you're eating wax as well. Either way, the idea remains the same. And this idea is truthfulness, honesty, sincerity. 
Are we being truthful and honest with ourselves, with where we are, with our walk with God? Think of the woman giving the offering, the old woman that Jesus saw. She gave oh so little, but he said that she gave the most. That is something that shows that God cares about quality, even over quantity. See, back in 1 Corinthians, we see this gnarly, awe-inspiring scene. This thing that in Romans 14.10 describes as the judgment seat of Christ, that our work will be tried, that it will be put under flame to see what truly lasts. And it makes me think of this incredible moment where the creator of all the universe will be abiding, sitting, ready to have the final word on every action, every word and every deed that we've ever done. And he's gonna see what the true worth and weight of each thing is. It's a humbling thought when in verse 13, it says their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Imagine you're given $10,000 and you want to go and you're going to go build a home, right? And so you're saying, oh, okay, I'll build it out of wood. You can go buy like some beautiful cedar and some beautiful red oak and you have this amazing home. It looks really, really cool, right? And then imagine the fire comes. What lasts? Or picture that you go and you say, I'm gonna build, I'm gonna get hay. Like, let's just take this physically from the verse. I'm gonna take straw, I'm gonna take hay. Can you imagine how much hay you'll get for $10,000? You'll have like a castle, like this huge thing. But once again, once the flames touch it, what lasts? Lastly, imagine you have stone, precious stone. That 10,000 is not gonna buy an awful lot. But when that fire comes, you have a home. The wake of this past month and all this staying home and looking at news and the world melting away has been so eye-opening to me. I got my, after the first week of being at home by myself, I got my screen time report on my phone and it was appalling. Like the amount of much time I spent watching YouTube or looking at news or doing things like that just because I was bored was eye-opening. I did not think it was that much. Immediately after that moment, I set some limits on my phone just because of how much time I noticed I gave to that thing. Like it or not, isolation has stilled the waters of our lives to help us see clearly what's actually going on in our own little streams. And I can tell you for me, I've got some trash at the bottom. I've got some weeds that need pulling. I've got some things that need mending, some things that need cleaning that I never knew were there, nor would ever have known had we not been put through this. As a musician, when I practiced my scales, when I worked on my techniques, when I ran my phrasings, it was those little things that got me ready for the recital, for the masterclass, for my weekly lessons. It was the little steps that I did each day that would add up and amount to a difference in my playing overall. And it's interesting how those little steps also carry over into our walk with God. It's always the little things. Do you pray? Do you actually trust God and all this stuff gets crazy? Are you reading your Bible? It's the small things that matter. And it's those small, basic principle things that we need to cling to right now. It makes me think of the 10 commandments. 
how they'd be written on the doorposts of a home. And a Jewish child would, would grow up and he wouldn't see the high lofty ones. He would see the simple basic ideas that we were to follow. Like don't covet, don't lie, don't steal. It's those simple principles that we need to live by and keep and hold to and cling to. Those are the things, those tiny little things that if we do them every day, that you'll be okay in the big things. You'll be okay when the trials come. And so the question is, is the faith that you say you believe in, that you claim to walk in, the thing that you actually practice? Are you being sincere with yourself? Are you being honest with God? Are you living in reality? So how do we do this? What do we do in this current day? When you're locked in your home, you can't go anywhere. What does this look like for us? Well, firstly, I think it's prayer. Are you spending time in prayer? I think of praying Hyde, who was a man that people would, would say that it was an amazing thing to hear him pray, that he was so honest and that the presence of God was on him in such a way that even just to be in the same room with him when he prayed, was an amazing experience that you would feel the presence of God. I think of another one, Edward Payson, who also prayed so much, he had a nickname, Praying Payson of Portland. <laughs> Can you imagine doing a thing so much that that was your nickname? It was said that when he died, that as the undertakers were preparing his body, that they got to his knees and he had calluses so thick, it looked like, like, pads on an animal almost. And they were wondering what happened and they talked to his family and they, the family recited back that he would pray so vigorously over all of the years that he developed these calluses on his knees that were these huge, just welts of a thing because he prayed. When the prayer lives of these men are placed at the fire, what do you think is gonna burn away? I don't think much. Secondly, I think how we do this is worship. We have to worship God. It doesn't mean music. I think of the woman who anointed Jesus's feet with this ointment, this, this perfume that she used to carry outside of her body to keep herself from stinking. She broke it open and poured it on his feet and washed his feet with her tears and her hair. And you know what happened? The fragrance came back on her. She smelled like the thing she was spending time with. This thing that was external, that was outside of her, now she laid it out and poured it out and washed the feet of Jesus. And she smelled like it too. Leonard Ravenhill said when talking to a group of pastors, do you wonder why your life isn't more fragrant? It's because you don't take time to be holy. You don't take time to be with Jesus because you think all the knowledge you get at Bible school is enough. Oh no, God isn't going to measure your intellect. He's going to try your life with his fire. So the question you need to ask yourself is, are the things that you're spending your time on worth it? Much like I practiced all those hours for all those months before that masterclass, but I wasted my time. Even though I was in that practice room, I didn't practice the things I needed. I didn't spend it on the worthwhile things that I truly needed to get by. So what are you spending your time on now? Are you praying? Are you worshiping? Are you reading? There's an old CT stud quote, which you may have seen. It's pretty popular. And it goes like this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ 
will last. Very few actually say this whole quote. It's only half, the first half. Nobody remembers the second half. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. This isn't the saying of someone who's trying to perform, who's trying to pass the test in order to get through the gate. These are the words of someone who actually cares about who he's talking to, to Jesus. These are the words of someone who wants to present, not hay, not wood, not stubble, but precious stones to his friend because he's found something worth living for, something real, something honest, something true. I want to close today with a poem. The author is unknown, but I hope that it ties all of this up and paints a picture of just what we're talking about here. His plan for me. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been, had he had his way, and I see. How I blocked him here and checked him there, and I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes? Grief, though he loves me still. Would he have me rich, and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace, while memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I cannot retrace? The Lord of the years that are left to me, I give them to thine hand. Take me and break me and mold me to the pattern that thou hast planned. You see, one thing I failed to mention at the very beginning of this was that in this scene that we just watched play out in Corinthians happens in heaven. Everyone's there. Everyone that's there is saved. In this trial by fire that we're standing at, that we each one of us will give an account to and stand at, will be what can we offer the Lord? What do we have to give him? What did we do? What is the fruit of what we spent our time in this earth? What did it produce? Will we give him stubble? Will we give him hay? Will we say, I, I, I posted on, on Instagram and Facebook these verses every day to brighten people's days and they got 3,000 likes. Or will we give him precious stones? Will we be able to give him the names of our friends that are now in heaven beside us because we spent our lives loving them and showing them Jesus? So what are you going to do? all of this that we've just spent so much time on, what does it mean to you? Is it going to make you change your time differently, spend it, use it in a different way? Will you be able to build something precious with God in this time at home, maybe quarantined, so that you can present it to him at the end of all things? Or are we going to waste time and have handfuls of ash as everyone else is laying precious jewels at Jesus' feet. I pray not. I love you guys, and I cannot wait till we can meet again the regular way, in person. Till then, we're praying for you guys.